Welcome to Secrets True Crime. I am your host, Amber Sitton. What is done in darkness will eventually come to light. That is the purpose of this podcast, to shine light on the story of Susan Osborne and her 14-year-old son, Evan Chartrand. They vanished from their home in the tiny Alabama community of Holtville on Memorial Day in 2017. They haven't been seen or heard from since, and their bodies have not been found. This is episode six of a serial podcast with each episode building upon the previous. If you have not listened to episodes one through five, please stop and listen to it first, or you probably won't understand what's happening in this episode. Listener discretion is advised. This episode contains one instance of mildly foul language, and the subject matter may involve violence, sexual content, murder, and adult themes. It is not suitable for younger listeners. Susan's daughter and her daughter's father, who we are referring to as Jay, and Jay's mom will all come up in this episode. As mentioned in previous episodes, we are choosing not to name any of these three people. If you know or have known Jerry or knew Susan after she was married to Jerry, I want to hear from you. Someone knows something. The information you may think is small or insignificant could make a difference in this case, and you can remain anonymous. Secrets True Crime at gmail.com or the Elmore County Sheriff's Office at 334-567-5546. We've already heard some alarming stories about what was happening in Susan and Evan's lives. This week, you are going to hear more about the turmoil and red flags in Susan's marriage to Jerry. You are going to hear Susan's own words describing some of the craziness she was enduring in her life. At the time that Susan and Jerry got married, Susan had a great job, but Jerry immediately began to pressure her to quit and become a stay-at-home mom. Jerry had actually been trying to push it for a while, and she had mentioned to me quite a few times, she's like, well, Jerry, you know, keeps bringing up to me, you want me to quit my job? She's like, I'm just not sure, I'm, you know, I'm ready for that. She's like, she said, I don't know. She said, I'm, I'm going to have to think about that. I'm used to being on my own for one thing, and she's like, I'm used to having my own money, and you know, I'm used to working. She's like, I don't know if I'm, I'm ready to quit. She's like, but then, you know, I could stay at home with the kids, you know, be able to have them during the summer and everything, you know, I'll stay at home with them during the summer then and not have to worry about daycare and all that. She says, that would be a plus. Holly told me that while Susan recognized the upside to being a stay-at-home mom, she was still very reluctant. Maybe she knew something wasn't right in her marriage, and she knew she'd be letting go of a huge piece of her independence. But then something happened at work one day. Susan felt she was being asked to do something dishonest. Holly said she was given an ultimatum by her boss to either do it or be fired. Susan called Jerry from work, and after their conversation, she quit. Susan's dad had bought her a car years earlier, but that too would soon change. I think it was a control issue because everything he did it led into the whole control issue. They lived together a little while before they got married. So everything, because just like her vehicle, she started having problems out of her vehicle and everything, and it was breaking down and all that. But rather than 
him pushing her to buy a vehicle while she was still working where it could be in her name and her financing. It was not until after she quit working, then that's when he was pushing more for her to get another vehicle. So it was in his name. So he had that tied to her. So, I mean, everything he did, I mean, he had that control over because, I mean, she didn't have her own income. She, you know, didn't have her own vehicle. She technically did, but it was in his name. So she couldn't count on that if she left him. And then even the more time went on and the longer they were together, the more control he was obtaining. One thing that really started worrying me and started being a really, real big red flag for me, Susie was always the type before she met him, she did not cry. She was not the emotional type. You never saw her cry. You never heard her cry. And then I started noticing little by little, the more time she was with him, there were times on the phone, she would break down crying with me on the phone. It was multiple times. And I was like, are you okay? And she said, I just don't know what to do. I just just don't know what to do. And she would just break down crying. And I know a lot of the things, it was almost like she was embarrassed to even say because if, even after she found out everything and she's, you know, she had told me, of course, because she trusted me and knew she could tell me these things. But, you know, she said, it's so embarrassing. It's embarrassing to know. She said, the only thing that makes me feel better is that finding this out, I didn't make him become this. It was already like this before I met him. Susan no longer owned her own car, and she no longer had her own income. She was now almost wholly dependent on her husband. While that can be a beautiful thing in a good marriage, it can be debilitating to a person in an abusive one. At first, Holly said this didn't seem to be an issue in Susan and Jerry's marriage. Susan had free access to her and Jerry's joint bank account. However, this is yet another thing that would change. Susan told Holly that Jerry began to give her an allowance. She mentioned to me one day that he started where it went from her having free access to the bank accounts to he was giving her an allowance, an allowance to pay bills, an allowance to do things, except if he thought she was mad at him or anything like that. Then it was like, here, baby, go shopping, go get your nails done, go buy a dress. Then it was almost like, here, let me buy your love. You know, let me let me just pay you off to keep you from being mad or being upset or where you won't say anything. And she mentioned that one day about him giving her an allowance. And I was like, do what? But so she couldn't talk a whole lot because if he was around, then she couldn't say these things. So she had to be careful about what she said. And I, I really think that she was afraid that almost like he was listening in, even when he wasn't home, almost like he had the house left or something, too. We already know that Jerry read Susan's text messages. In episode four, Susan's brother Brian mentioned that the family later discovered that when Susan was speaking on the phone with her father, Susan had him on speakerphone so that Jerry could listen in. Holly told me that Jerry listening on speakerphone wasn't a unique occurrence with Susan's dad. She said the only way Susan could talk on the phone when Jerry was home was by speakerphone so that Jerry could listen to both sides of every conversation Susan had. You know, it was like the more time went by, the more it's almost like he wanted to listen into the conversation. And then even there were times that so she always had me on speakerphone and she didn't ever go into detail or say anything when I was there. But it's, you know, 
whenever I was on the phone with her, I always had to be careful about what I said because I always wouldn't know if he was there or not. And I'd be scared to say something that I shouldn't say in front of him, you know, and scared to let on to him what we knew and what, how much she knew and everything. I mean, just like there were times, you know, we, me and her, we were talking and then he'd start talking in the background, you know, carrying on the cover, you know, kind of butting into the conversation. And so, you know, I knew he was there and I knew he was listening in. He did that quite frequently. While we don't know if Susan's fears about Jerry bugging her phone and house were founded or not, it's easy to see why she would have those fears since he didn't allow her to have private conversations with friends and family. There was undoubtedly enough signs of trouble in their relationship to cause Holly to worry. I was working for the VA hospital at the time, and she called me up one day. She sent me a text, actually, first of all, and it really scared me. She said, can I add you on as the emergency contact for Evan for the school? I said, of course. I said, is everything okay? And I immediately called her because I was like, okay, did something happen? Because this was after she started finding out more about Jerry. And so I immediately called her and I said, are you okay? I said, what's wrong? I said, you, you know, you can put me on. I was like, but I just want to make sure everything's okay. She said, yeah, she said. And so Jerry was there then. So she kind of shrugged it off and she's like, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, in case just say me and Jerry were in a car wreck. She said, I just want to make sure that, you know, you're on as emergency contact in something situation like that. And so that really sort of worried me because she was, and she brought Jerry's name in it, I guess, pretty much to let me know he was there. And then he was talking in the background. So, and I was on speakerphone, so I knew he was there. So she didn't go into any detail beyond that. But she put me on as his emergency contact for the school and things like that, she had said at that point. You all know the saying, hindsight is twenty twenty. Even when Susan shared many terrible and painful secrets with Holly, In hindsight, Holly believes that she was keeping a great deal from her about her relationship with Jerry. It became harder for Holly to spend time with Susan. Susan would often cancel at the last minute. Holly told me that in the months before her move to Key West, it didn't seem that Susan was being allowed to drive herself anymore. I really kind of wonder if she was telling me all, because I... As controlling as just even the parts that I started finding out, it really made me wonder if he was, he might have been hiding the keys or keeping the keys for himself and she wasn't telling me that. Because it was almost like a mixture of her. There was a lot of things she would tell me, but there was a lot of things I think that she was scared to tell me because she, like I said, she didn't want me to worry. Especially before I moved away, I know he had a temper. And I know like her and Evan both told me on multiple, you know, multiple times that he had a temper and they had to be careful. You know, even Evan said that. And they're like, yeah, they said he definitely has a temper. They said he's crazy. They said we really have to watch out. You have to be careful around him a lot of times. And so, yeah, I could definitely see because like I said, it's almost like he, I mean, he was carrying on two completely separate lives. So it's like he had two separate identities. Here he's got his supposedly perfect marriage and perfect life with his wife and kids, so to speak, because he portrayed like he was this perfect dad and he never had any kids of his own, any biological kids. And he seemed like such a great guy when behind closed doors here, he was cheating on them with both men and women. I mean, what kind of person could sit there carrying two separate lives like that? 
And anyone who can carry it on for that many years and that long, that shows how good they are at lying and what else are they capable of. One night, Holly had plans to meet Susan for dinner. He brought her to the restaurant and picked her up. And, you know, I was I'm kind of I was like, that's kind of weird. It was one of the few times that we were actually able to go out to eat with just us. I even asked her, I said, do you want me to carry you back home? I just told Jerry, you know, I'll take you back to the house. And she's like, no, no, it's okay. So which made me wonder, okay, is she scared of him? You know, which she wasn't telling me at the time. And she was telling me in so many words, somewhat, because she was like, she said, yeah, he's dangerous. He's, he's crazy. We have to watch out. But she never told me, yes, he's hitting me or anything like that. But like little red flags like that, I'm like, okay, that's a little strange that he kept texting her even while we were there at the restaurant. We went to a Mexican restaurant there in Prattville. He kept texting her the whole time. And then, you know, kept saying, are you ready yet? You ready for me to pick you up yet? And he sat there and just, you know, rode around in town, waited for us to finish eating. We may have even been sitting out there in the parking lot the entire time. I don't know. Evan was scheduled to have a medical procedure one morning. Jerry was working the overnight shift. Holly didn't want Susan to sit in the waiting room alone all day, so she took the day off to spend with her, but Jerry still came. On another day, Evan had a procedure done that day, and I didn't want her sitting at the doctor's office all day long in the waiting room by herself, and I didn't think Jerry would be there because Jerry was working night shift then. So I told her, I said, I'm going to take off work and, you know, go with you there. So I don't want you to be in there by yourself and being worried about him and everything. So uh, I took off of work that day and I met her there that first thing that morning at the, the doctor's office at the imaging center and got there. Jerry was there, too. So he had worked a 12 hour shift all night and then still came with her to that appointment. So it was kind of a mixture. I was like, OK, so. Look at this from two perspectives. He's he's the loving, supportive husband, or either he's the clingy, possessive, don't want to let her go anywhere without him type. You know, because he didn't even, even after working in his car shift, you know, he still came. And once said, before I knew the entire situation, yeah, I would have thought it was the loving, supportive husband. But after started seeing the red flags with him and knowing what all he, he was doing and knowing that how he was cheating on her with men and women, and I was like, yeah, this is more so he's being possessive and not wanting her to go anywhere by herself. He's probably afraid, you know, she's going to run into somebody that he knows and she'll find out. So we went to eat lunch after that. Evan wanted pizza and we went to CeCe's Pizza after that. And after we were leaving the restaurant, me and her were hugging each other by and we were like, we need to get together and have a girl's day, you know, go eat, get our nails done, whatever. And she's like, yeah, she's like, we're definitely going to do that soon. Well, he's standing right there. He goes, oh, I can have a girl's day with y'all. And when he made that comment, he said, oh, he said, I can have a girl's day with y'all too. And I said, oh, well, you wouldn't want to. I said, it's just going to be us getting our nails done or talking girl stuff or whatever. So I kind of tried to shrug it off. And I said, it's like, you know, you wouldn't want to. It's just girl stuff, you know. And he goes, oh, I can be one of the girls too. By this time, Holly was beginning to suspect that Jerry did not want her alone with Susan but was his behavior just targeted at Holly's relationship with Susan? I've spoken to so many people about this case. Many of them shared information and stories with me, but for various reasons, some of these stories can't be revealed. 
I can tell you that based on these stories, I believe Jerry did not want Susan to be alone or have one-on-one conversations with anyone. The behavior that was described to me off the record was very troubling and controlling. On September 8, 2016, Susan sent Holly an email. I have a copy of the email, and this is the one time we are going to hear Susan describe her situation in her own words. It shows just how tumultuous their lives had become. Remember, in episode 4, Holly told us that Jerry was making promises to Susan that he'd get her full custody of her daughter again. Holly believed that he used the promise of this as another way to manipulate Susan. Here is what Susan wrote her best friend. Here's the latest. The last two weeks, Jerry thought he was being followed to work by someone in a black truck. Monday evening, Jerry sent me a text from work saying it happened again. He then proceeded to tell me how he was going to start investigating Jay and Jay's mom on his own. That he was going to get my daughter back to me no matter what, because he could see the pain I carry. Well, that was bullshit. I knew something was up, because that completely came out of nowhere. He took me to the dentist on Tuesday. Right after my appointment, he mentioned getting a haircut. I told him to take me home first because I already took the muscle relaxer and pain meds. I was tired. He brought me home and then went back out for a haircut. He then brings it back up about he's going to get my daughter back. It's about 3.30 p.m. and he grabbed his keys. I asked what he was doing. He said, I've already told you. I'm going to investigate them. I said, right now? Are they even home? Do you know anything about their schedules and where Jay works or anything? He said, no, but I'm going to find out. I said, that makes no sense. You need to research where they will be, not aimlessly drive. I told him I thought it was out of the ordinary, that I just had an extraction, root canal, and a crown. He knew I didn't feel well and was drugged up. Yet he was adamant on leaving right then to start investigating. I texted him later and asked if he was by Jay's mom's house because I was getting ready to call my daughter. He told me the guy in the black truck, the guy that had been following him, was chasing him down 65 toward Verbena. I told him to let the guy pass so he could get the plate number. He said he tried, but the guy wouldn't. Whatever. An hour goes by. I called back and no answer. He texted back telling me he was talking to the guy and getting answers. I asked why he didn't answer. He said his phone was at 4%. I told him he needed to stop anywhere and buy a charger. After that, nothing. Common sense told me what was going on. On the other hand, he is talking to some guy who's been following him. Then he disappears. I finally thought about going onto the Verizon website. It showed he made several calls and lots of texts all night all to Mobile numbers, and two calls to Yellow Cab in Mobile. So it looks like maybe the guy robbed Jerry, took his phone, stole his truck, his wallet, killed him? The next morning, I sent a text message at 5 a.m. saying if he does not call by 6 a.m., I'm filing a missing persons report, and another at 6 a.m. saying I'm calling the sheriffs to file, and another around 7 a.m. after I filed the report. I sent a text to the last number called and texted on his phone, asking if they knew him, that I filed a missing persons report and that the sheriff's office would be contacting them. 
I call his boss later. Told him I filed a missing persons report and that if he had seen or heard anything to please let me know. I finally heard from him around 6.30 p.m. yesterday, 12 hours after I filed the report. He called the sheriff's office and his work early in the morning to let his boss know he was okay. Meanwhile, he didn't text me till that evening. The first thing I heard from him was a picture of Jay's mom's driveway and a message saying Jay was not there. Really? I asked where he was and told him I was scared to death something happened to him. He told me he had to clear his head because the guy who was following him, an investigator, would not give him his name, but had a Larry Parker on the window of the truck and told Jerry he worked for LCBP, but told him he was investigating him under the accusation that he was being unfaithful to his wife and running around with men. Something like that. How many investigators will tell you they are investigating you? In the name of the company. And why? Zero. That's how many. So he told the sheriff and his boss that he was okay, but I didn't need to know. Long story short, he had already made plans. He had been texting back and forth with Brittany in Mobile. He was supposed to meet her at five or six, I think. He got a hotel, met with her, got a taxi. They went to a strip club, and then he went back to the hotel with her. The investigating for my daughter was a ruse, which I already knew. It was only a cover, but of course, flips it back around like I'm the bad guy. I have the actual text messages from the two of them. Oh, by the way, I shared those messages with her boyfriend. After Susan sent this email to Holly, the two of them continued to text about it. So me and her were texting back and forth to each other. And I said, um, and I told her, I said, you should have called me the other night. I said, um, the black vehicle was probably either a complete lie or one of the many men he was having relationships with. As in, so now the same thing is happening with other women also. And I said, he's a pathological liar. I said, and he forgets what he's lied about and thinks he's getting away with it. And so it messages go on and on and everything. And I told her, I said, you know, if you need anything, I'm here. Please be careful. You never know if he might snap since he knows that you know about the relationships with men and all. She said, I had, and I'm the one I told her, I said, I had a nightmare that he tried to do something to you. So please be careful. I said, my house isn't big, but you and the kids are more than welcome here. We will make room. So she said, and she told me, she said, thank you. She said, she said, he is crazy. She said, there was not a truck the other night. I know that for sure. He was headed to Mobile to meet her. The other nights were, were probably just because he's crazy, paranoid because he's doing wrong and then tries to blame me. And then I told her, I said, that's right. I said, you know, usually the ones that are doing something wrong get paranoid and blame the person that's not doing wrong. I said, they get paranoid because they are lying and doing something wrong and they usually blame the other person. And it's just, I wish I could have got her away from him. Unfortunately, this was just one of many failed attempts by Holly to get Susan to leave. Holly was afraid for Susan and Evan. She described numerous conversations she'd had with Susan as she tried to convince her to leave. Her kids were her main motivation. She lived for those kids. She would do anything for them. You know, when she started finding out more things with Jerry and the email strings back and forth that that me and her have, um, even in one of the emails, 
from September of 2016, I'm even telling her, you know, please, please get out of there. You know, I want you to pack your and the kids stuff and get out of there. I'm worried for your safety. You know, you know, y'all can live with me as long as y'all need to. I was like, you know, we will figure it out. And she's like, I know, I know. She's like, I know he's dangerous. I know he's crazy. She's like, but I can't put the kids without insurance. She said, I've got to get a job lined up first and get insurance for the kids because especially with Evan's health problems, I can't put him without insurance. You know, and she said, I'm worried about if I get a job with him being out of school as much as he is sick, you know, are they even going to keep me because of that? Because I'm having to be out of work so much with him. As Holly watched Susan's situation get more and more out of control, she even began to dream about it. And yet again, she begged her to get out. I literally had messaged her in these emails. I said, Susie, I said, I'm worried for your and the kids' safety. I said, and that's what I'm just telling her. I said, I want, you need to pack your and the kids' stuff up and get over here. I said, you need to move him. You know, move him with me. You know you can live here as long as you need to. And she's like, I know, I know. She's like, but, you know, she's like, I can't put the kids without insurance. She said, I know he's crazy. I, know, I have to be careful. I know. She said, um, she said, but I cannot put the kids without insurance. I said, I understand that. I said, but Susie, I said, I wasn't sure whether to tell you this. I said, but this is scaring me even more now. And she said, tell me what? And I said, I had a dream last week that he killed you. I said, I don't remember the details of the dream. I don't remember anything else in the dream other than in this dream, he killed you. I said, I'm worried sick about you. I said, I'm scared for your safety. Despite her best efforts, Holly was never able to convince Susan to leave. On the day Holly was leaving Alabama for her new home in Key West, she tried to talk to Susan once again. And that's the comment she made to me on May 16th. She said, she said, communication is one of the biggest things. She said, we've communicated. We've worked things out. She said, he loves me and my kids. And that was one of the things she made the comment to me. She said, you know, he's even looking for Evan, you know, a truck when he turned 16, a truck or car. While Susan told her that she and Jerry had worked things out, Holly still saw one more instance of odd behavior in her last few moments with Susan before she pulled out of her driveway in Alabama for the final time. We were getting ready to leave. And he literally was almost like he was trying to break us up from hugging and just sort of almost trying to come in to try and hug her instead. And she just kind of looked at me and just rolled her eyes, you know, kind of insinuating to him. She was like, oh my God. And she, she was trying not to let on to him, though. It seemed like Jerry wanted Susan's complete and undivided attention at all times, but Susan just told Holly two weeks prior to their disappearance that they'd worked everything out. What happened in this two-week period of time? I asked Holly what she thought happened, and here is what she said. He always portrayed me as the type of guy that if she tried to leave him, he'd be the type that if I can't have him, nobody can. So either... I could see him being that where if he knew she found out, then he'd be like, oh, no, if she's going to leave me, then uh-uh, that, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to allow that because I'm not going to let anyone else have her either. And then she's going to mess up my front I'm putting on and then everyone will find out. Join us next time as we take a closer look at what we know about Jerry Osborne. Thank you for listening to Secrets True Crime. If you or someone you know are in a situation similar to Susan's and are experiencing abuse, please don't wait. There is help available. 
you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. If you are enjoying this podcast, please let us know by giving us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. If you have any information that could help in solving the disappearance of Susan Osborne and Evan Chartrand, please call the Elmore County Sheriff's Office at 334-567-5546. You may also email me at secretstruecrime at gmail.com. I'm active on social media and often share photos of Susan and Evan. Follow Secrets True Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Secrets Crime. The audio editing and post-production for this show is by Kane Power at overnightaudio.net.